0: Welcome to Always Listening. I'm your host, Chief Editing Officer of Pro Podcasting Services, Joel Sharpton, and this week we are always listening to Cocaine and Rhinestones with Tyler Mahan Co. What is Cocaine and Rhinestones? Well, it's a show about, as you'll hear in the interview that I've got lined up for you, it is a show about the history of country music, especially in the 20th century, and the lives of those who made it. It's a fantastic podcast that I cannot recommend to you enough. If you like true crime at all, I think you'll like the style of this one. If you like country music at all, I think you'll find a lot to enjoy in Tyler's show. If you've ever been interested in David Allen Coe, well, then you might be interested in the fact that Tyler is his son All of that and more made the show pretty compelling to me when I first heard about it, uh, thanks to an article in Pitchfork. It was shared in a Facebook group that I'm in, and I didn't even read the article. I just saw the headline, and I said, yes, that is a podcast for me. So I started downloading it. I listened to the first couple of episodes literally the first day. I think I listened to two or three that first day. And then over the course of a week, I had listened to all 14 of the total episodes for season one, season one is done now. And we don't know exactly when we're going to get season two. Tyler is working on it, but I got to speak to him. And so you are going to hear from him as well. Before that, let me just tell you this. The show is amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. The first episode, the first couple of episodes have some, you know, sort of rough production as Tyler was getting his feet under him. You'll hear in this interview that he, I mean, this was literally his first days as a podcaster. It was something that he was learning on the fly as he started. Uh, But It is an incredibly compelling story that he's told so far, and I can't wait to hear the next chapters in it. Even if you're not a fan of country music, if you're a fan of history, if you're a fan of music or creatives at all, then this is something for you. I think absolutely. I'm not even going to give you a sample of the show in this episode because I feel that strongly about you just going and listening to it on your own. In particular, if this is if you're still a little skeptical, I might suggest two episodes um, off the top. Uh, go and listen to the episode about um, Bobby Gentry and the Ode to Billy Joe. A lot of people, that's their like entryway to the podcast. It's a very, very good episode. Also, a great pairing of episodes. There's two back-to-back about um, Buck Owens and Don Rich. Now, to me, I think it's best if you just started episode one and go all the way through. But if you're not up for that, fine. Then then go ahead and uh, meet this fellow in whatever way you want to.
1: But in the meantime, you can meet him right here. So go ahead and say hello to Tyler Mahan Co. Uh I guess I'm a podcaster now, but that's all new to me. And uh, yeah, I bump into it in an elevator. I make a podcast about the history of country music. And I also make another podcast with my friend. Uh, that whatever your favorite band is, we're gonna make you really, really angry talking about that band. Uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) And, um, so I mean, it sort of goes without saying almost, except it didn't with me. I, I listened to four episodes of your show, Tyler, and had read a few things you'd written online before I realized for sure that you were David Allen Coe's son. Um, but you are right. That is also part of who you are and you Uh, were a musician with him for many years.
1: That is true Uh, yeah I mean if I give the long answer of everything that I've done in my life, it is a very long answer Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I was on tour for about 13 years. David Anko is my father. Uh It's not something. I mean, I've definitely seen Uh, you know, he's not like a super famous person, but in some circles he is a celebrity and I've definitely seen, uh celebrity children who do run around you know might as well wear that on a t-shirt like don't you know who i am kind of thing and it's always really gross so (laughs) i don't i don't ever make a big deal out of it i mean if it comes up in normal conversation it would be you know ridiculous for me to try to avoid talking about it or anything weird like that but yeah i definitely don't make a big deal out of it i'm not i don't have a big sign over my head like look at me well and, and it's not um I mean, not to cast aspersions,
0: but somebody like Shooter Jennings, who is clearly following in his father's footsteps and like that is the the image that he's building and he's he's making music, et cetera, et cetera. And that's his primary job um, is clearly a bigger thing for him than it is uh, for you, necessarily, where you're you're building. I mean, your father was never a podcaster. He wasn't a journalist in any way, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, there's not that direct familial connection to what you're doing, even though you
1: do have the country music ties. Yeah, well, I mean, and it mean. Been- if we're using Shooter as an ex- specific example, he does a lot of things that uh, don't get a lot of attention that are very outside of what people would probably expect from him. You know, I, I happen to know that he's a very technologically-minded person. Uh, he's really into computers and very good at computers. I think he's designed and built his own video game, which is really? mind-blowing to me. So, yeah, I mean... I mean, and I have, I definitely do have, I, I keep them more private. I do engage in activities that people would expect from me. You know, I sit in my room and play country music on my guitar and stuff like that. But yeah, it's not really what I do for the world, I guess, isn't what uh, you might expect. Although now the, uh, the history of country music thing is probably the closest I've ever come to doing what someone might expect from me it's probably the first related to country music thing that I've done other than being in his band.
0: Well, I got to tell you, if you would have told me, if you would have run down the list of like country music stars that I loved growing up and said, one of their kids is going (laughs) to collect the entire country music history in the 20th century. I don't think it would have been David Allen Coe's kid. I I didn't know you then obviously, but like that, that, I don't know that that would have been what I I expected. Talk to me about the, the launch of that? Like, how did you come up with that idea? And, and then actually get over the hump to do it? You even say that this is not really a show that you wanted to do in the beginning. It's just something you wanted to exist. And you felt like nobody else was.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone else would have made this. I think if I didn't do this 10 years from now, I'd be sitting around wishing that someone had done it, you know, hopefully now that everyone has seen what can happen. If we start talking about these old things that are still just as interesting as they ever were. I, I hope to see more content that is trying to get at some of the same things I'm trying to get at, specifically with country music. Uh, it, it really just it all happened at once. I'm one of those people. I always have ideas like, oh, it would be cool to do this, or it would be cool to do that, and I've done some of them. You know, I made this website called Drunkmall.com, which kind of went viral, like a drunk online shopping thing, and I was making money through that. It's an affiliate marketing website. That's what I was doing with money before. I I pretty much abandoned that just to make cocaine and rhinestones. And if, you know, if I had, if it turned out that I had sucked at making a podcast and no one liked it, I would probably be back to doing that now. Uh, so I've always got these ideas. And you, if if you're a person who has a lot of ideas like that, you know, there's a difference between that's a good idea. I should do that someday. Or that's a good idea. Maybe, some, maybe someone will do that. Or maybe I'll do that. And then there's an idea where it's just like, when you have the idea, it's, oh, I'm really going to do this. And there's no, there's no even thought of not doing it. It's like, as soon as it occurs to you, all that's left is to just put one foot in front of the other until you get there. At least, I mean, that's the way that I am. That's the way my mind and personality work in starting new things. So, yeah, I mean, as soon as I had the idea, I knew I was going to do it. And I I believe I ordered a microphone within 48 hours of having the idea. I just knew. I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know if if I was going to be good at it or not. But I knew that I knew I had to try, you know, and uh, I just I. I tried like really hard, and um, I, it seems to be working out. You know, as a podcaster, it's really interesting to me to watch
0: your progression. It's so clear to listen to those episodes, especially like the first three or four. Like you're growing by leaps and bounds. It's so obvious as a creator. I mean, you can hear the work that you're putting in there. So you began cocaine and rhinestones. Then before you started with uh, your favorite band sucks.
1: No, they, they were kind of. I I did slightly before. Uh, of uh, my friend is my co-host on Your Favorite Band Sucks. His name is Mark Mosley. He also has all these ideas like I do. Like probably every day he's got a business idea. Probably every day I have a business idea and we were always just texting each other back and forth. We really wanted to start something together, you know, long before uh podcasting was ever in either one of our worlds. After I had this idea and I knew that I was going to go forward with it, I still still wanted to You know do something with him and i knew i was going to do this so he and i were just kind of talking about other podcast ideas and he sort of had an idea for something similar to what uh, your favorite band sucks ended up being and believe it or not his idea was actually more mean than uh what your favorite band sucks ended up being but we were talking about it going back and forth and got to the idea of what that podcast is now and we were just talking about a podcast that he should do and when we hit this idea i was like man you know what if you want to do that i'll do that one with you and uh we just jumped right in from there too and this was all before anyone knew that i was working on a podcast at all and it was pretty great because uh, as you say you can I, I believe what you say is true i believe you can hear me improving in cocaine and rhinestones uh, especially it, it, there's a, to me to my ears there's a real big jump between episode even episode one and episode two but episode three and episode four and then by episode six I feel like episode six was the first one where while I was making it I was like this is good I know (laughs) that this is good and 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 I I probably should mention like I'm a I'm my own worst critic you know so if if I'm saying that I it's uh, as objective of an analysis as is possible I'm not like you know pat myself on the back needlessly the i mean i'll go ahead and say also the first 3 episodes are practically unlistenable uh to for <laughs> me i can't it's it's like torture listening to them if i have to for whatever reason but having your favorite band sucks was great because that was such a lower risk uh, first of all it's i i've got someone else with me to take whatever heat comes in you know and second of all it's more of a basic conversational format just me and him sitting down and talking and that editing some of that stuff was less labor intensive than what I do on cocaine and rhinestones and it actually allowed me to learn how to use the recording and editing software and all of that before I really I had made the first episode of cocaine and rhinestones just like a pilot and showed it around privately to some people. And then I went over to your favorite band sucks for a little bit and really got my editing chops down, you know, cause it's multi-track for, for if, I mean, this is only interesting for people who make a podcast, but it's, you know, one track of him talking, one track of me talking and figuring out how to like uh, do edits that aren't obvious and things like that. Um, and then that all translated back to cocaine and rhinestones and made it a lot better. I, I feel
0: No, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I always say uh, basically any podcaster who's ever found success has done it with their second or their third podcast. It's almost never with their first show. So even though like you've started them both at the same time, like you got your feet wet and got a lot of the those bumps and bruises out of the way with the other one. I mean, obviously, with a lot of your subjects, especially early on in the 20th century you know, those people are, are all are mostly dead now. But was there ever a time when you thought, hey, I should use interviews, like I should lean on the fact that I know some of these people that I have connections, and I, and that I could call on favors and, and reach out? I mean, you could get a lot of these people on the phone, let's be honest.
1: Yeah, I could. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons to not do that. For one thing, I, I have a background in uh, digital marketing. And PR, and I know how that world works, and once you get into uh, what artist relations, I guess is a good way to put it, the temptation is strong to just become a, a PR outlet. You know, uh, if if someone is still alive that I'm talking about, they happen to have a new album coming out, all of a sudden there are all these incentives for me to not only maybe start talking about them sooner than I would, but there are incentives there for me to maybe, uh, you know, act like they were maybe a little bit more important than they were, you know, uh, maybe they get a bigger place in the history because they want to be my friend, you know, right. Just a lot of bullshit like that, that you see happening in the contemporary music cycle for sure. Uh, it's just, it's blatant. I find that kind of gross, but, and also I think part of the appeal of it, uh, Less a less selfish reason. I think part of the appeal that works for listeners is hearing me try to work out the truth of these stories, which I mean, a lot of these stories, it doesn't matter who I get an interview from, we're just not going to know exactly what happened. And the most honest thing I can do in that situation is try to present as many different angles on it as I can. And sort of just hand it to you and be like, your call, you tell me, you know, and I think that that brings people in and makes them feel like they're a part of the process, you know, because they are. If I just make this show and no one listens to it, then it's the whole tree falling in the woods thing. Uh, Doesn't even matter. So there and then there's just a, there are a lot of things there's the i mean human memory is terrible if your only source is uh you sit someone down and they tell you what happened you're probably not getting the truth the other thing is like i said the incentive could be there for me to make someone seem more important than they are. I have witnessed, I see it all the time, someone from the old school, they, they outlive everyone else. And then you ask them what happened all all of a sudden they played a much bigger part than, uh, than everyone wants to give them credit for, you know, it's like, yeah, I never got credit for this and that, and this and that. And I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. And I also don't want to be in the position where I have to, you know, this person sat down and talked to me and lied to me. I'm, You know, I'm trying to tell. I'm not trying to have a cool podcast. You know, I'm not trying to have a hit podcast. I'm not trying to get famous or rich from this. Uh, The full title of the show is "Cocaine and Rhinestones: The History of Country Music." That that subtitle at the end—that's my aim. And if I piss someone off doing that, it's already happened. You know, I'm going to do it. I feel like it's less likely to cause personal problems. In my life and personal relationships if I'm not sitting people down and talking to them and if I'm just working off of public information Um, and the other thing is is uh, I've since since the first season came out I've been invited to use the country music Hall of Fame archives for research from now on in almost all of these cases they've already done what I would do for me. They have these things called oral transcripts where they bring in, you know, a DJ, like a radio DJ, not a wiki wiki DJ and uh, a producer, songwriters, you know, artists, they bring them in and they interview them about the, the, real details of their entire career. Like, who did you work with? Who played on that session? Not a bullshit PR interview where it's, you know, give me the sound clips because I'm going to show this to the public. It's just for the record, you know. And all that stuff is in these archives. So pretty much any information that I could get from an interview other than just cool little sound clips or whatever is available to me now. So there really wouldn't be much of a reason to do it. Uh, so I, sh- I guess I should have told you I give extremely long answers to simple questions,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. So let's talk about like a couple of specifics you You mentioned like the um you know, leaving it up to the audience sometime, like the Jeannie C. Riley episode of Harper Valley Pta, which by the way, I love the multiparter ones. I hope that's something you're gonna do more in the future uh, where they like clearly connect to one another and tell a full story over a couple of episodes. But that episode. Where there are so many aspersions, so many accusations that she had made and that other people had mentioned over time. And it's like, I mean, you laid it out. There's clearly nothing provable about any of that stuff. It's just like her word. And at the same time, you don't want to not believe her, but like, you, anyway, how do you approach that? And, and I guess my question is, are you which one is a greater motivator for you? Is it a better motivator or a, a stronger motivator to not put something out there that's possibly wrong, or that's going to get a lot of negative feedback? Or is it more important to you to make the definitive statement on, like, here is how I see these series of events and the way that they played out?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I definitely don't want to sway opinion i don't i don't think that anyone should uh if i say here's what i think happened but i'm not sure i i definitely mean that i like i mean i'm not sure i hope that people don't just take what i think is probable as you know definitive fact moving forward and i try to be very careful about my language uh it, when i'm in areas like that and that gdc riley episode was One of, probably one of the two scariest ones for me as far as um, the potential for uh, powerful reactions. Uh, I'm honestly surprised at how small of a reaction that episode got. Because I feel like a lot of what's in that ties into a lot of what's happening in the news right now. But I, I... I mean, personally, I do believe her about... The alleged blackmail. Um, you know, I—that's I, not at all surprising to me. Uh, I could see that happening for sure. It's not something that's unbelievable, and it's also I could, I could see something like that contributing a lot to her perception of other things that happen that may or may not be accurate. Mm. And I, I tried. I don't know. I haven't gone back and listened to that one. As much as some of the others, because no, no one has really asked a lot of questions about it, like I said. But I remember wanting to try to present it in a very careful way. You know, I don't, I would not like to be sued over anything that I say. <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't know, it, what we're talking about is in her autobiography, she takes pretty extreme liberties with the facts in order to obscure the id the identity of a person she alleges did something i would say you know very bad and i figured out what was going on i sort of solved this puzzle that was just sitting in this autobiography. And as far as I know, no one else even cared enough about this autobiography to realize this puzzle was there. So it wasn't a situation where I know this documented fact that is not very well known, and I'm going to go tell the world about it. It was a situation where, oh, I think I found something that no one has ever known about. And I also found some court documents over here that are pretty hard evidence uh, that my suspicions are correct. And so now what? Like, do I tell the world? I feel like I have to, but I also, again, don't know for a fact what happened. So, I mean, if if you do listen to the way that I speak in episodes like that, you'll hear me say... Uh, allegedly a lot. You'll hear me say, I-, I suspect, I think, I'm not sure, things like that. And, it's, and, and that's just me being careful and honest, which is, I think is sort of rare these days for a <laughs> quote-unquote expert to not just tell you they know for a fact what happened and this is why and we have all the answers. And I, I think people are kind of sick of that, especially when you can't know, like in certain circumstances where it would be impossible for someone to know. I just try to be honest about it, you know?
0: no I think that's incredibly rare I think you're right the well and and you made a great point there because it's not like you're not really revealing secrets almost nothing in the show the whole first season was like some hidden information or something that you only know because you uh, have run in these social circles almost all of it is something you could have read somewhere else but you say it even in the first episode I think these books are not being read by people like some of them aren't even in print anymore you can't find them and so you're telling a compelling story and collecting all that information into a narrative and to a format that more people will probably actually put in their ears and and take in that's what i think is so compelling about what you're doing don't get me wrong don't let me put words in your mouth but isn't that sort of the goal
1: like isn't that your idea that's the entire ball of wax yes uh it's this is a history that I saw going extinct. There are books on my wish list that cost two hundred and fifty dollars. Just some random artist autobiography that got published in one run, sold out. They never printed any more of them. Who knows what stories are in there? Because no, the the people who make books, you know, the people who do reprints and special reissues of stuff think no one gives a shit so you know these books aren't digitized they are not available as an ebook and if someone doesn't do what i'm doing which is take these stories that were put out into the world in one medium and translate them a into language that is understood by people who don't know what it was like to be alive before the internet existed and b in a medium that is now taking over storytelling entirely i mean if you are an author of books and you don't have a podcast right now (laughs) oh my god like you are so behind the curve i feel terrible for anyone who hasn't had that realization yet you know this is this is the invention of radio all over again and we i mean we saw what radio did to the world. And podcasting is going to do that all over again. And it's it's just if you're not here, you're not anywhere,
0: you know, I strongly agree, man, you're preaching to the choir. What would you think? First of all, have you been approached by anybody about turning this into a video uh, project or a product yet?
1: Well, the other the other issue with what I'm doing is I know that my use of song clips is protected by fair use and everything like that, but I have no idea. I haven't talked to a lawyer about what would change in translating it over to television. You know, like mm. I don't know what kind of rights you would have to secure to do it on television, things like that. And in my experience, uh, the people who Or, I should say, probably like the institutions who hold a lot of the rights to the things that I'm talking about, you know, are operating with very old school mindsets and uh, perhaps not in what would be their better interest of allowing a thing to happen that's going to bring a lot of interest back to something that most people think isn't interesting at all. They might be inclined just to file a lawsuit because <laughs> that's how they—that's yeah, right. how they've always done it, you know.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would absolutely. Well, okay. Let's spin off of that idea then and talk about which, by the way, you mentioned I'd never heard of. You mentioned it on the show in the Q and A episode. I went and watched like three or four episodes of it now. The Mike Judge, um, Tales from the. Uh, tour bus thing. It's interesting. But it seems to me to be a complete rip off of the WWE has a thing that they did like three or four years ago. With that exact same idea, they, t- they took wrestlers and like they sit down and they talk about the good old days. And then they just animated the stories. But that's like, that's been out for several
1: years. Um, I probably can't talk about it. But I do have some sort of insider information as to how the show came about. And from what I understand, the original show wasn't going to be what it ended up being. They, I think they had to sort of pull a, uh, what's it called, an audible in football? Yeah. Yeah, I think they sort of had to scramble and uh, figure some other things out because of the way some things ended up happening. Interesting, interesting. But I, don't, I, I definitely don't know whether or not uh, sure. that wrestling show had any influence on that. I wonder so but is that
0: something that would be interesting to you? I know you you know You often talk about on the show that you're not really interested in like the tabloid part of things but the you know the headbutting and the ego Fights in country music are as epic as anything we think about in like modern-day rap or you know 90s The East Coast West Coast battles or whatever like these things were awesome man And they're wonderful stories to tell are you
1: interested in any of that at all? Oh I don't know. I mean, I would have to sit down and actually make a list of famous country feuds and try to figure out who I know that would get mad at me for talking about. <laughs> Cause I'm not, I'm not trying to lose a lot of friends for something like that. If I, if I lost friends talking about, you know, hard history and setting the record straight, I mean, th- that I would be willing to take that hit, but just for entertainment. I would not be willing to make uh, people I care about mad. Well, right now my life is pretty crazy because it's all, it's just been the last two weeks that um, anybody it, noticed you. Well, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the New Yorker and pitchfork and all this stuff happened at the same time. And it's been there. I'm getting a lot of emails right now. I'm
0: sure man.
1: So it, it pretty much everything's focused on cocaine and rhinestones right now. But um, I well I don't know I think that I think there's something coming out of Rolling Stone next week which is probably gonna I don't know make big stuff happen all over again I kind of would like for it to chill so I could work on season so two you work yeah on it. <laughs>
0: Well, just just know every time that, that uh, there's a new article or something, I mean, even, look, my show is, is nothing compared to a New Yorker or a, a Rolling Stones article, but there will be some group of my listeners that will discover your show, hadn't heard about it before, and a handful of those will come and be Patreon supporters, you know, so like, yeah. and every one of those just makes it more likely for you to be able to do this thing faster.
1: Yeah, and and that's why I do, you know... Press, press pause yeah, yeah. on what I'm doing and go do the public appearance thing, and I mean, and also there are, are opportunities coming up for me to use this attention to help uh, the genre in general, and I'm I'm definitely, you know, that's important to me too, important enough to press pause on uh, production for season two. But uh, I do, it it, it it is like the most important thing to me right now is season two of Cocaine and Rhinestones. So what is the big story in your
0: head for season two? Like, is there an overarching theme that you think you're seeing already in your pre-production?
1: Oh yeah, I'm not gonna tell you what it is though. Screw <laughs> yes, <for> you, man. <laughs> I could, no, because here's the thing. Um, I'm, so season one, the secret objective of season one was to set up all of this knowledge this framework this outline this blueprint whatever you want to call it for the world of country music you know i i jumped around from different times and different places and really tried to give an overview of at least a major chunk of what country music is and how it works you know and of course there's a lot that i didn't get to there's a lot that i hardly even mentioned you know like i didn't get into bluegrass basically at all it, and that's just one massive example of something and I, I didn't i don't think i even touched gospel music which is you know that's everything for a major period of country music so uh But I did try to jump around and like get, like, here's what the Grand Ole Opry is, and here's how that works. Here is the person who made decisions there for a long time, and here's what happens when that goes wrong. You know, like, these kind of ideas. And then here's Bakersfield. Here is what country music outside of... What everyone thinks of as the country music city, which is Nashville. Here's what country music from California had to do to compete with that and what that contributed to the big picture. You know, so I'm jumping around from all these different places, different time periods from like the 19, I think 30s, 1920s, 1930s, all the way up into the 90s, which the scope of the podcast is the 1900s entirely, that century. So now that a lot of that. Ground is laid. I don't have to do that again. You know, I don't have to explain a publishing company again. I don't have to explain what a producer is again. We can really get into some stories that are big enough themselves to where we once we have all this other information and these understandings that we can bring to this story, this story is really worth hanging out on for a long time, you know? So I think, uh, especially if you like the multi-part Harper Valley PTA episode and the episodes and the, like the Buck Owens and Don Ridge multi-parters, I think season two is going to be something that you will really enjoy. It's, uh, definitely more of a unified theme. And, uh, but the reason why I'm sort of cagey about just, Flat out stating what I'm doing is uh, because I'm getting a little weird and creative with some narrative devices, I guess is the way to say it. It, I, I mean, if someone could see the name of the show and think that it's just this boring academic thing, you know, Cocaine Horizons, that's sort of a sensationalist title, but then the history of country music, okay, this guy's just going to sit down and tell me a bunch of facts that, and it's not going to be interesting. But I really, I, I'm not doing that. I'm really trying to contribute as much as I can without coloring anything uh, creatively is what I have to do to stay interested. You know, that's just the facts of it, let alone upping the entertainment value and keeping people interested. So for season two to challenge myself, I've, I, I don't know. I know. I, I don't think that I've bit off more than I can chew. I have already had some breakthroughs for some problems that I knew I was going to have. I feel like I've got a pretty good head start on it. But like I said, I think like the thing that's giving me anxiety is, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of flow state sort of work working like I'll, I'll pull 30 hour days because I want to stay in the mode that I'm in and get the thing done when I'm in the middle of it. And uh, yeah, like all, all the uh, big press stuff sort of throws a wrench in that it doesn't let me stay in the uh, moment of inspiration and really capitalize on it as, as much as I like to do. But yeah, I mean, that long rampling answer is about as much as I would probably want to say on season two at this point. Uh,
0: no, it's perfect. It's perfect. So I want to go back and uh, before we wrap up, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want to talk to you specifically about a theme that I saw in season one, which is about women in country music. And it starts even at the very beginning of episode two, which by the way, you talk about the leap from like episode one to two and then two to three and three to four but even from one to two the intro to episode two where you start talking about the streisand effect and then where you go in the episode you have this whole history of you know like reproductive rights in America sort of and that's not even what the episode is about it's not really about abortion or the birth control pill at all the episode is really about female's plight in country music and not just country music right you talk about it in that episode too it's it's across the musical industries uh, and and obviously or the musical genres and obviously affects every industry but do i mean do you see the line from loretta in that episode to genie in the pta to winona you know at the end of season one almost i mean is the story has not changed in the 50 years that you've you're talked about so far
1: oh yeah i mean i think if you saw my notes and uh how meticulously planned out the sequence of everything is you would maybe think that uh i have a you know psychological disorder or something. you got like the string theory going? Uh, yeah. It, there, th- there are <laughs> about five different threads that run through the first season. And it was, it, was, it was actually kind of fun to figure out which stories needed to come in which order in order for that thread to be there. I mean, even if it was only for me to see, I didn't really know how many people would even be paying attention, you know, but just for my own satisfaction, I wanted it to be that way. And of course, a lot more people ended up hearing the show than I thought we're going to hear it at least this fast. And it has been rewarding to see how much of what I built into it has been picked up on by listeners. The... The thing with the like the pill intro and it being you know seemingly unrelated, uh, I my own mental process is often a matter of finding connections where there may or may not be one there, or at least trying to find out if there is or isn't a connection between a few things. This is just my personal approach to thinking about things, and I usually end up deciding that there is a connection because you kind of always can turn something into a connection, even if it's through some sort of six degrees of separation game. But uh, also just as a storytelling device, it's uh, the word that I always want to jump to is uh, manipulative, but less cynical than that word implies. It's a sort of controlling, your listeners emotional reaction to what you're saying you want to push them and you want to test them and you want to you want to give them you want to give your listener credit and you want to treat them with the respect that they are willing to be challenged and they're willing to go in this other direction with you if the always the if if you bring it back, you know, if you've got to deliver. And there, ha- I mean, there are people who probably just shut off the episode 45 seconds into it, particularly the, like the Bobby Gentry episode. I guarantee you there are people who just like stop listening to that. Cause I don't even talk about Bobby Gentry for, I don't know, 12 minutes in the beginning of that episode. I'm just, and, and I'm not really telling you a different story. I'm just sort of free associating on my own opinions about fame and celebrity, you know, and sort of referencing some studies that sort of back up what I think about it. But, um, that, and that, that was one that I was really scared about putting out into the world because that, I, I felt like that was a big challenge that I was making to people, you know, like almost a dare, like, oh yeah, will you listen to this? Will you listen to this much of this to get through, to get to that? And, I mean, and, and also, I mean, there's a clip of a Kanye West song in that episode. You know, I've got a, I've got a friend who DJs here in Nashville, like, uh, wiki wiki DJ, not radio DJ. And, uh, he calls Kanye West the racist whisperer. He says, if anyone feels any sort of way about black people, Kanye West is going to bring it out of them, you know? <laughs> and so, and this is the, this is the stereotype of country music is that, you know, Oh, everyone who likes country music is all racist. Of course we know that's not true, but there are racists in any group of people. So of course you could expect some pushback for me putting a clip of a Kanye West song in an episode of my podcast that is clearly labeled a history of country music. Why am I listening to Kanye West right now? And of course there's a reason you're listening to Kanye West right now. And it's it's both attached to the history of country music and it's attached to this free association, 10, 12, 15 minute intro on the nature of fame. And it's just a, only a little bit of patience that is required to get there. And again, I, I can't remember what we were talking about earlier, uh, where if, if you're oh uh, not having interviews and, um, you know, requiring a little bit more, asking a little bit more from the listener, making them feel like they're a part of the process, you know, uh, not having interviews makes them feel like they're a part of the process. G- giving them moments where they aren't sure if they want if they aren't sure why they need to be hearing this like why are you telling me this and if you give them that moment of frustration and then you hold out on the payoff when that payoff comes like if you do it right if you get it right you just made a fan for life you know it's cuz cuz those moments are rare in entertainment now this isn't something that i find is often Effectively done in storytelling anymore, you know, especially in like movies are really bad at this these <laughs> days. They, but they used to be great anyway. Sorry, long answer, told you.
0: No, you, it's perfect. I cannot tell you how much I'm enjoyed it. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I really am gonna try to wrap it up now. A couple of quick questions What was the thing that you discovered in season one's research that made you the happiest? What was the coolest bit of info that you discovered? like uh, i didn't know about the um the in the buck owens story the buck buck owens and don rich their relationship i i'd never heard any of that basically that was all new info to me and it literally made my day that episode made me cry at the end of it the second one did
1: yeah that one made me cry at the end of it too i don't know this is a tough question because it, it really i mean at the beginning of it when i say i've been hearing these stories my whole life i really have so there, as as far as like what made me happiest I think, I mean, and it wouldn't have been something that I found out, but I think the biggest satisfaction is the opportunity to put a spotlight on some things that people mostly don't know. In if the Buck Owens episode is one that you liked a lot, I can tell you the thing that made me the happiest to put some attention on in that episode. You know, other other than the entire story, which, as you said, I don't think is widely known about their relationship and how important they were to each other, and yeah. as a result, important to country music. In that episode, I briefly talk about uh, an album. That they made together called Ruby, which is sort of Buck Owens and Don Rich's take on bluegrass. And it's a spectacular album. I I believe I was talking just today or last night, someone on Twitter tweeted and tagged me in a tweet about the song that I used a clip of in that episode called Corn Liquor. And uh, I mean, it is hands down one of the greatest drinking songs ever put to wax. And um, a lot of people have never heard that. And that entire album is great. It's really adventurous. It is a perfect example of what Buck Owens meant to country music, which is this, you know, like snorting a big fat rail of creativity, you know, right when this music needed it more than anything, right. It was right when it was in the middle of this big sellout move of trying to dilute everything and make it, uh, you know, pop friendly and all this stuff. Here comes Buck Owens with some just manic country music, just beautifully wild and, uh, unhinged music. Uh, So in that episode, that was the thing that made me happy. I mean, another instance of that would be the entire episode on the Kershaw brothers was... I I was practically giddy the entire time that I was working on that just because I knew... That uh if anyone knew any of that stuff, if most people knew any of that stuff, it would just be the fact that Doug Kershaw is a fiddle player. Not many people know about the Rusty and Doug phase of their career and just the amazing music these actual children were making, just music that puts... Uh, th- uh other music made by adult legends of the time this music is just crushing what they're doing is in terms of creativity expert composition it's it's fantastic stuff and then when you let that story play itself out where you end up all the different ground you end up covering you know uh what i think is neil young's best album is a huge part of their story or they're a huge part of the story of that album would be a more accurate way to say it and then you get into rusty kershaw who is this virtually unknown figure in music and he just he made some fantastic music he's got this album uh from around 1969 1970 called a cajun cajun in the blues country yeah. that is unreal it just it's it is a genre bending masterpiece. Like you listen to it, you could, you could tell me that there are three different singers singing on this album. And I would believe you, you know, he goes, he goes from sounding like Nina Simone to, to Leon Russell, to his own thing. And it's all good. And, you know, he's the one who goes into playing a part in Neil Young's, music and then later he makes another solo album you know decades after the first one and it's also fantastic and you know not a lot of people know about that those are i mean that's the one where you know people will buy that album on itunes and they'll take a screenshot of their purchase and put it on instagram and tag me in it and it always brings a smile to my face that makes me really happy to answer yeah
0: the the rusty kershaw was the the one that i uh, have benefited the most from. I've been listening to that album and the Neil Young album, for that matter, which I had never listened to before. Oh wow, it's great! No, I know it's it's wonderful. So, flip side of that, what was the like? What was the thing that you? I know you talked in the episode about that you didn't know a lot of the Judd story, even though it was all like very public. They had all written autobiographies and talked about it publicly, but you hadn't really been paying attention. Was the Winona story the one that that blew your hair back the most, or was it the the Cooley story? Like, what was it that? that that lowered your mood the most during season one?
1: Uh, So, I mean, there's no question it was Bay Cooley. Uh, I mean, that was actually the first episode of the podcast that I made. That was the first story that I knew I was going to go after once I started in on this idea of a podcast about the history of country music, I knew that I was going to hit Spade Cooley first. And that was really just more from a marketing standpoint of looking at what was popular in this space of podcasting. You know, there's this whole phenomenon of uh murder podcast and I, you know, I searched Spade Cooley and iTunes and not a single thing came up. So I knew that I had something that no one else was bringing to the picnic you know and uh but i also sort of only had a surface level understanding of that story which i think is the common understanding of that story until now until uh what i showed people about what actually happened that uh that yeah. me up man uh it yeah. it was it I, I probably spent about three weeks maybe a whole month on that one because it really it was the you know like the pilot first episode that i made it was the one that i showed to my friends to listen to uh to tell me if i was wasting my time on trying to make a podcast or not my girlfriend does listen to those murder podcasts i i can't listen to them you know it's it's uh, i have a very vivid and active imagination uh, still you know functioning in my head which is a miracle in the smart smartphone (laughs) age Yeah, I don't need that stuff in my mind. And, uh, you know, I'll walk in the room and she'll be listening to one and I'll hear. And then he uh, tied the husband up on the couch and made him watch as he. And I'm like, okay, no, that like I'm out of the room. You know, I don't want any part of that. And uh, so I was having nightmares uh, with Spade Cooley in them talking to me uh, while I was working on that episode. And when I record the podcast in a basement overnight because I'm using a condenser microphone to get good vocals for the main part of the show. And if I didn't do it at night, you would hear cars driving by outside. So I'm alone in the dark at night and this stuff comes to life when I'm saying it, you know, like I'm, I'm seeing the images of everything. And, uh, I kept having to stop recording during the murder scene. And that I don't know. There's a lot of cut and cut and pasting going on to stitch that together because I kept getting, you know, choked up. Uh, I would start crying while I was reading the details of what he did. I mean, yeah, there's just no question um, that that is the most... That's the biggest price that I paid. Like that's never, that's never going to go away, you know, too. That's another thing. Like you don't get to walk away from that. You don't get to not have done that to yourself. And that's why there are a lot of, I think there are three separate content warnings in that episode, like one right at the beginning, uh, one a little ways in and one right before it gets dirty because and I know how some people listen to podcasts, you know, they space out and they, you know, maybe aren't paying attention to what they're hearing. And uh, I really didn't want to take any chances with someone. Uh, I didn't want to help someone do something to themselves that they didn't know they were doing to themselves with that episode. Because I really don't think it's something you'll ever forget uh, once you hear what happened. That's a Beautiful way to put it. And I think you did it so well in the episode, too, because you
0: did it with the music, you know, you had the music go away. And then you said, Okay, I know it's been bad so far, but it is going to get worse. If you've had enough already, skip until you hear music again, and then you're safe. Yeah. And you and you did exactly that. Like, it, and it. I, I've, I've listened to some of those other podcasts you talk about. And some of them, not all of them, by the way, do this uh, in a salacious way. But some of them lean into it. I mean, it feels like murder porn you know i yeah. mean it feels like you're 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 not um looking at it to better understand humanity or to better understand a historical situation you're you're lingering there for some reason you know what are you there for and the way you told that story is clearly not that it's like this is a part of country music we we pardoned this man and like he's got a plaque and he's got a, a star on the hall of fame the walk of fame you know et cetera, et cetera. like we should remember what he did too. exactly what he did. All of what he did. You know, anyway, I thought that was really well done. Okay. I've taken way too much of your time, Tyler. I really appreciate it. So this is not really news. If you are in my uh, personal life, you've already been hearing about this show for a long time, but I am so excited that I get to share this interview with you guys and, um, hopefully some of you will check out the podcast as well. Cocaine and rhinestones.com. You can find them there. You can find them on any podcast app that you subscribe to shows in and just in general, check it out. Cocaine and rhinestones, go subscribe and and listen to what uh, Tyler is doing. And if you felt led, um, go support him on patreon too like absolutely this is the kind of guy that i'm going to throw some bucks to because i cannot wait for season two i've been your host joel sharpton chief editing officer for pro podcasting services and i am always listening our theme song is enough by bethany Raber.